0: Welcome to Lydiard Law with Paul Cott. Tips and tricks for your legal issues. Sexual harassment can happen to anyone, from anyone, at any time. If it happens at work, as a business owner, are you liable if someone you employ sexually harasses another staff member? What avenues can a victim pursue if they've been sexually harassed? And what are the consequences to the perpetrator? There's a lot to consider, especially for owners of a business. To run us through the ins and outs is legal expert Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. Paul, it's often good to start with a definition. What is sexual harassment precisely? And do you have any examples? So sexual
1: harassment is unwelcome conduct um, of some sort of sexual nature that a reasonable person would be offended, humiliated um, or distressed by. And some examples, I mean, there's a long list of examples, but... You know, um, even sexual jokes, pictures, um, advances, touching, um, reference to um, videos, really any reference at all in a really wide sense to, to sexual things that a reasonable person should know would be offensive to the other person or persons can be uh, what is the legal definition of sexual harassment.
0: And someone on the receiving end of sexual harassment, what kind of impact does it have on them?
1: Oh, well, it, it can be massive and, and it can have real mental health impacts, stress and anxiety and depression. And when we're talking about sexual harassment in the workplace, it's obviously going to lead to you know loss of production, maybe leaving the job, uh, conflict in, in the workplace, all that type of stuff. So look, the effects are endless on, on the uh, person or even the persons around them. I mean, if, if it's affecting adversely somebody, then the the people around them also feel the impact. So it's got, a, it's got a very potentially wide wide effect on not just the person who re- receives it or on the receiving end, but others around them.
0: I understand recently there's been an avenue introduced if uh, where employees can go um, when making an application f- for the Fair Work Commission?
1: Yeah, that, that's a, a good welcome change, actually. it's um, I really have to laud um, the Fair Work Commission for putting that into place it's a little bit akin to, well, it's very similar actually to what they've got now in what they call the anti-bullying jurisdiction where somebody who's being sexually harassed at work, or they're being bullied at work, they can make an application. And with the aim of the ultimate aim of that application being that there is an order which can be registered in a court that, that sexual harassment stop, and that order can be directed to the employer um, and to other perpetrators such as fellow employees, even contractors or people who are involved in a business. So it's um comes into play on 11th of November. Over the next few weeks, the procedures and how to apply and all that information will be up on the website. I looked again today. It's not quite up there yet, but it's look, it's a really welcome change. And I think it's come from all the recent publicity surrounding um, sexual harassment in,
0: in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. If we look at a business, what can a boss do if one of his or her staff is a perpetrator of sexual harassment? Can they sack that person?
1: Uh, Generally, at the moment, yes, they they can. It really depends on all the circumstances. I mean, you'd certainly want to do a thorough investigation, and you wouldn't want to be pulling the trigger on the, the dismissal of the employee who's had the allegation against them too early with it, with it, when you don't know, you know the facts for sure. But now it's actually clear as part of the new procedures in the you know anti-sexual harassment jurisdiction of the Fair Work Commission that they've made it explicitly clear in the legislation that if there is a finding of sexual harassment against a person, that can be a valid reason for dismissal. So that if that person then went to the Fair Work Commission then made an application to say that they're unfairly dismissed, that um, that would be a defence. And that would be one of the elements that would not be an unfair dismissal as long as the procedural elements are being complied with, but that would be a valid reason.
0: Mm. Is intent, is that the major factor when it comes to sexual harassment?
1: That, that's a, a lot of people probably don't know this, but the intention of the perpetrator is irrelevant, mostly, it's really focusing more on the effect on the victim and also the effect which a reasonable person would would have. There, there is, there's a principle in the law called the eggshell skull principle, though, and that says that a perpetrator of a wrong has to take the victim as they find them. And so that if you are overly susceptible to an effect of sexual harassment, then the perpetrator has to take it as it is, and it's too bad. But there is the element of it can't be completely unreasonable, um, you know, the, the offence that's been caused either. So it, the victim can be unusually susceptible, but at the same time the intent of the offender is not relevant, but it's always had to look at um, on the effect, with the effect of the victim through a reasonable person's eyes, how they reacted. Was, is that a reasonable um, humiliation or distress or discomfort? From, as a result.
0: Uh-huh. And a claim of sexual harassment is not just re- relegated to the workplace or work, but also schools, um, shops, buying services and yep.
1: goods? Yeah, very much so. Um, it's definitely not just confined to the workplace. It's across the board. Any area of life where in- human beings interact with each other, education, school, um, government departments, anywhere where people gather provision of services, provision of goods and services, um, church services, you you name it, it's um, much, much wider than just workplaces.
0: There's really no limit to it. Mm. Let's say it does happen at work. Who's liable if a particular employee commits a sexual harassment?
1: Yeah, so um, primarily the employee would be liable, but and it depends, as we ask lawyers, love to say, but it depends on whether the employer knew about it, whether they should have known about it, and then what take what steps did they take to either prevent it in the first place, such as putting policies into place, and also on what steps the employer then took to redress it, and should they have taken steps um, or, or should they have known about it as well. So it, there is a potential liability on the employer because they have a duty to all employees to provide a healthy and safe work environment, and um, the law can say that if if a sexual harassment is allowed to have occurred that wasn't dealt with correctly and that's caused significant adverse effects on a person, then um, it can yeah it can be the employer. Uh, so if you've got a company, it could potentially be the, the company and then accessorial liability on the directors, even if they knew nothing about it, um, and the business owner and even company secretaries all that type of thing as well, and other employees. And, you know, we're talking about it could be more than one employee. It could be another employee who knew about it and did nothing. could be them as well.
0: What's the legal situation, Paul, where an employee suffers some sort of backlash as a result of making a sexual harassment claim?
1: And and that is certainly one of the reasons why there's some hesitancy amongst some people to make a complaint because they think, well, my boss is going to get angry with me particularly if it's against the boss, um, that makes it really difficult um, and that, you know, you might get sacked or you might get demoted or you're not, not get given any more shifts if, you, if you're a casual, but there are some legal protections in place called the general protections um, areas of the law, so the Fair Work Act says that employees and contractors at work have a set of general protections and not be, not to be discriminated against because sexual harassment is actually a form of discrimination and so if in the workplace if an employee does suffer some backlash or what's called adverse action as a result of making a complaint then they've got the right to make an application to the Fair Work Commission for a general protections dispute and if in time that went through um, and the court or the Fair Work Commission found that the adverse action was taken for the invalid any unlawful reason that they made a complaint there can be compensation ordered, penalties as well, quite significant penalties, um, in in the many penalty units, um, particularly for a corporation. So, you know, you do have the legal protections there. Having said that, I, I can fully appreciate why someone may well feel very uneasy about making a complaint, um, because. Even if it's not a boss, if it's just a fellow employee, even on a lower level than them, they still have to face that person on the next day. But there are some legal protections. And the reality of it is that, you know, in clear cases of sexual harassment, what unfortunately then happens is that the employee then goes on sick leave for in a definite period of time and less than until it's resolved.
0: What happens if the sexual harassment happens not at the workplace, like not in the factory or the office, but? say, at a function, at a party, is that still seen as sexual harassment at work?
1: It it can be. Again, it depends on the circumstances. And there's been a whole lot of cases about this. Um, And the leading case is Rose versus Telstra Corporation, where if you have um, a work-sanctioned or work-organised event or something on the work premises, or even potentially where a whole series of workmates go out together away from the workplace, if that function has a connection to the workplace, then it can be that the employer is responsible, even though it's not in the work premises. So even after hours conduct does have the potential to be deemed workplace conduct. So Rose and Telstra corporation, where there was a party, I think it was a work organized party and, and something under happened there and the employee was liable. So it's really a matter of how far work extends. So it's not just work, but it can be work-related events, particularly where, say, an employee has to travel. If that's a necessary part of their work, and they could be 500 kilometres away, if they are there for the reason that having to do work duties there, then that can have a connection to work.
0: Mm. Is sexual harassment a criminal offence? Do the police need to get involved?
1: Um, Generally it isn't, but it can be. Probably the minority of cases it's really going to require a physical assault um, or a threat well the threat probably wouldn't be sexual harassment it'd be an assault um, or some other criminal offense but if there's really inappropriate sexual touching that would be sexual harassment but probably above all it would be a crime a criminal offense of some sort so the majority of sexual harassment cases um, do not involve the police. They're not a crime. They're not a criminal offence, but they can be in the minority of cases.
0: It's up to the the victim to go forward to the police. Yep,
1: yep. I mean, if you do it at work too, the arguably the employer has a duty to, um, if the employee doesn't want to report it to the police to do so, if there has been some assault or a sexual assault nature, um, you know, the employee may not want to again report it to the police, but the employer has arguably has a duty to say, well, I'm going to report it.
0: Can an employee obtain compensation for the application to the w- Fair Work Commission?
1: Uh, just by analogy with the anti-bullying jurisdiction, that is not what it's about. The reality of it is that there's potential that you know the parties may agree to, in a mediation, to resolve it with a monetary payment, maybe for out-of-pocket lot- out expenses um, and compensation, but generally... If it goes to a hearing, the Fair Work Commission does not have the power to order any monetary payments. The only thing they can do is make an order that the bullying stop. That's it.
0: What about a situation where the employee suffered from the sexual harassment so badly that they've left the employment?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, they might have other claims, such as a civil claim for damages. Because they've left the employment, then they're presumably not getting the income unless until they get another job. But for the Fair Work uh, Commission process for the anti-bullying and the anti-sexual harassment jurisdiction, you have to be currently employed. Because if there's an order to stop the sexual harassment and the employees left, then there's nothing to stop. It's not going to happen again. So, unfortunately, that's not going to be your redress if you leave um, the employment. And also, the other thing is it has to be likely to be repeated. So, yeah, if the, unfortunately the employee's left, the anti-sexual harassment jurisdiction
0: won't apply. Well, finally, Paul, does a person need a lawyer to make an application to the Fair Work Commission and is there a fee for making the application?
1: I think there's going to be a small fee. Um, most of these things to the Commission involve a small administrative fee of between $50 and $100. Generally, you don't need a lawyer. To me, I often say to people, look, you know, you're a smart person and you can write pretty well. If you don't want to incur the legal cost of making an application like this, you're more than welcome and you're very capable of doing it yourself. But having said that, often lawyers will know some little tricks to put in there to make the application better once it gets on. Because although you're not bound strictly according to what's in your application, you can speak about... the the matter wider than what's in the application, a well-drafted application will really start the process off better. So you don't have to get a lawyer, but I think it's best to.
0: That's Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. You've been listening to Lydiard Law. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever app you access your favourite podcasts. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, why not leave a review? It always helps others to find and enjoy the podcast too. For more information about Lydiard Law or any legal issues you'd like to discuss with Paul, go to lawonlydiard.com.au. Paul Cott and I look forward to your company next episode. Until then, I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening.